I hope you're having a wonderful day. Welcome to my channel, Your ABA Help. I am Sarah and I am a BCBA. And here today, we are going to be talking about the seven dimensions of ABA. These ones I love. They're such a guiding compass to our field. Everybody knows about them. Everybody spends so much time studying and remembering these ones. So we're going to go through them. We're going to talk about them. And we're gonna get comfortable, we're gonna be confident, we're gonna be ready for that exam. Before we get started, everybody, I just wanna let you know that I have a Patreon link in the description box. Please check it out. There's lots of fun materials. We already upload that Bluetooth video that I was talking about. That should be up by the time you see this video, which is super exciting. I'm not gonna waste your time. We're gonna go ahead and get right into it. Welcome to podcast number three. Today we're going to be talking about the seven dimensions of ABA. So buckle in, get ready. If you're new to studying ABA terms and you know prepping for this big exam, I definitely recommend learning mnemonics or acronyms or you know, funny little ways to say things. So there's so much information. It's going to be so, so helpful to you. And like I recommended in the first podcast, guys, I definitely recommend saying these things to yourself out loud you know talking to yourself asking yourself questions make sure you can explain it to you know your steering wheel two acronyms that are most popular when it comes to the seven dimensions is get a cab that is g-e-t-a-c-a-b get a cab the other one is bat cage b-a-t-c-a-g-e bat Cage. So those could be easy ways to help you kind of remember what are the seven dimensions. Yeah, it can be really hard to keep, you know, the seven dimensions of ABA straight and then the three characteristics of science and then the six attitudes of science. There's so many terms and it can be really hard. So definitely use some sort of system. If you're a visual learner, just go and check this video out on YouTube. I've got some cute little visuals i'll be posting those on the patreon as well so if you want to save those for studying you absolutely can everybody has their own way so whatever works for you i am here to help you guys and just let me know what you need and then for this podcast guys we are going to lay out these terms by doing the term definition and i'm going to talk about breaking that definition down give you a way to remember it if i have one and then you know the keywords some examples if there's a good example and yeah, we're gonna move right through them all. For the purpose of this podcast, we are going to use get a cab. So that's what I used to study, so I'm most comfortable with that one. Which one is generality? Our definition for generality is a behavior change has generality if it lasts over time, appears in environments other than the one in which the intervention that initially produced it was implemented and or spreads to other behaviors not directly treated by intervention. Generality is generalizing, being able to do a skill diff across different settings, people, times, materials, environments, making sure that when we're in a controlled setting, like in a clinic or, you know, in a facility where we're learning these skills, we are able to do it in other settings or the, you know, learner, the client, the patient, whatever you want to call them is able to do it in other settings because if we are teaching all these great useful skills but they can't apply them outside of the clinic they're virtually useless right so i'm going to give you an example so let's say we're teaching somebody to order a burger from burger king right 
So in the clinic, we're practicing all these useful skills. They know how to you know, put their debit pin number in after they scan it. They can order their burger. They know the exact order. They know what to do when something goes wrong. They know how to ask for help. All of that, they can do it all. But the second they walk into a Burger King, they've never practiced any of this. It's brand new. They don't know that those skills that they learned in clinic can also go here. So they have no idea to no no idea what to do. So there's not generality. And later on, and we'll we'll do a podcast over all the different ways to generalize skills. There's tons of them, and it's so important that when we teach our learner these skills, that they're able to do them in home in school. Especially those big skills like potty training, communicating. You guys get it. You got it. Generality. Next is E, effective. So for effective, we've got two important points. So effective and effective application of behavioral techniques must improve the behavior under investigation to a practical degree. It must impact behavior and be socially important. And it is the skill that we're teaching or you know whatever mechanism we are trying to impose on our learner and then number two is noticeable change so this one is really important if we are making these really small you know wins with our learner that's one thing so if we have a learner that's struggling in certain areas and we're making these small wins great but if we are making these bold claims and saying, you know, we're making incredible progress, but there's no real noticeable change, it's not really benefiting the learner, it's not socially significant for them, then what are we doing? I'm going to give you an example. So if we are trying to teach a child to drink water in big gulps rather than little sips, is that really that big of a deal? No, it's not really socially important whether they drink, you know, from a straw or if they drink from the cup, you know, you're going to have to get some input from OT and speech and what they believe is best for that learner. But we have to consider, is it socially significant? Is teaching a child to tie their shoes versus just wearing Velcro Velcro shoes for the rest of their life because they just really struggle with those gross motor skills? Is that really socially important what we're teaching them? Like we spend years teaching them to put the toilet seat down. Are we really spending our time in a valuable way? This is the hill that I will definitely die on. I see a lot of times BCAs just get really bent on wanting to teach a certain thing because they teach all kids that and they feel it's just so important when in reality, it's not that important. The kid doesn't really need to know it. So the way I can remember this one is our effect as a BCA need to be effective. Just a little like saying for you. Our efforts as a BCBA need to be effective. Got it. Cool. Up next on get to cab, we got the T for technological. Definition for technological. A study in applied behavior analysis is technological when all of its operative procedures are identified and described with sufficient detail and clarity, such as the reader has a fair chance to replicating the application with the same results. Technological is recipe, step-by-step, can it be repeated? Can the other person do it is what we want to know for this one. The idea behind this is if we create these brilliant, you know, teaching procedures or these brilliant protocols, can they be repeated? And this is something that you'll be tested on quite a bit when you are in clinic or in home with clients because your RBTs or behavior techs have to be able to do what you put on paper. So one of my favorite things to do is I will have one of my senior staff 
read what I put out before I put it out. Because for me, with the behavior analytic brain, it makes sense. Like I, you know, put steps one through eight and I get it, but can the person that's going to be implementing get it? Do they understand it? Does it make sense? Am I missing stuff? So like, am I imagining that this is naturally what you would do, but you know, the RBT, that's not what they would do. So making sure the things that we put out are clear, easy to follow, or step-by-step like a recipe. So technological is gonna be, we are gonna be very technical in how we write things is a little thing I use to remember that. All right guys, we've got A, applied. Our definition for applied is the applied and applied behavior analysis signals ABA's commitment to affecting improvements in behaviors that enhance and improve people's lives. For applied, it needs to impact the person's life. So in a positive way. So what we're doing needs to have a positive impact. I often will get effective and applied mixed up and we're gonna talk later about how to tell the difference between those. For applied, we want what we are teaching the client, child, whoever, to be socially significant and improve their life. We are looking at them and making sure that they are getting the benefit. This one, I see a lot of parents struggle with at times because they want their child to behave a certain way or do certain things. I see this one come up a lot with stimming. So if you are working in a clinic that is blocking or stopping stimming, you need to do something, say something, it's absolutely not okay. There's rarely a condition where blocking stimming is okay. Uh, offering alternative you know, breaks in order to engage in stimming are all possible. I could make a whole video about why we shouldn't be stopping stimming no matter what, essentially. If And then I do have people sometimes say, well, we should stop stimming because the client is harming themselves. And if they're harming themselves, you need to get them to a doctor and get something checked out because stimming is relaxing and comforting there shouldn't be any self-harm involved in stimming. But I'm, I'm getting sidetracked here, guys. But if you want a whole video, let me know because I would love to get on that soapbox and rant. Anyway, okay, applied. So benefiting that person's life, making sure that we are putting the client first, not you know considering our own goals, family goals. It's gonna be a collaborative approach, but does it benefit the person? Does learning choose benefit the learner? Yes, as long as they're able and they're motivated to, you know, teaching a person to play a violin, does it benefit them only if they want to and they find joy in it and they're motivated to do that. Forcing somebody is not going to be falling under this category. We want to make sure it really matters to them. Teaching independence, communication, how to cope in dif difficult or stressful situations is what we're talking about here. Up next we have the C in cab, get a cab. Conceptually systematic. Conceptually systematic meaning that the procedures for changing behavior and any interpretations of how or why those procedures were effective should be described in terms of relevant principles from which they were derived. This one sounds big and complicated, don't let it scare you. Conceptually systematic is just saying we need to be grounded in our science and our principles we aren't magicians, we aren't getting lucky, we are able to say, yep, it was because I manipulated these variables or I you know, used matching law, pre-math principle, or you know, ensure the setting events were optimal, things like that. 
making sure we're staying in our science and staying grounded. We aren't making bold claims as like, I've got the magic potion to clear autism, which my God, don't ever say that again. <laughs> if you're in the world of ABA and CEUs and understanding positive behavior support and functional communication, you've probably heard of Dr. Hanley. So Dr. Hanley is kind of blazing a trail in the sense of motivating a lot of BCBAs to have a more compassionate understanding practice and being more open to allowing escape and communication and just slowly shaping and working on skills rather than just blunt, you need to deal with it, which is amazing. Great. We love that. Thanks. However, if Dr. Hanley was out there saying, I have this magical cure, you just need to watch my video and you need to pay for my course and I'll give you all the tips and tricks in order to have my magic. That would not be conceptually systematic. Instead, Dr. Hanley explains the principles and the science of ABA that he's using, the, the approaches and protocols and all that fun stuff, right? Up next, we've got analytical. Their definition, analytic. So for analytic, a study in applied behavior analysis analytic when the experimenter has demonstrated a functional relation between the manipulated events and the reliable change in some measurable dimension of the targeted behavior. So analytical is just analyzing. Think about it that way. Analyzing the data, we are analytical, we are creating functional relations, we are looking at those variables, we are you know, experimenting, we are focused on the science of ABA and being scientific in what we do. This one's gonna to tie to experimentation, correlation, control, all of those things are gonna be analytical, making sure we are manipulating variables and not just throwing throwing a whole bunch of things at a wall and hoping something sticks, right? This would be where you're not gonna be winging things, you're not gonna be like fingers crossed. We are calculated, we are planned. Up next we have behavioral. Our definition for behavioral is not a clear definition, just remember for this one that we have to make sure that the behavior that we choose is the behavior that is measurable and that we know why a behavior is changing or how a behavior is changing. Behavior, we are going to select the behavior. So this one might seem obvious, okay? But think about it. Hang out with me here. Behavioral. We have to select the behavior that we need to be targeting. So this one is where tantruming as a behavior for decrease does not work. What the heck is a tantrum? My tantrum with my two-year-olds is gonna look different than your tantrum interpretation, right? Mine might be, you know, she's screaming in her car seat, you know, just kicking and you know, ripping off the bell and all of that. Whereas for you, it might just be crying and then the rest is just for show, right? So for me, especially the longer we're in the field, the more we see guys, the more desensitized we become to these behaviors. So like. Somebody from the outside might be like, oh my God, they are just absolutely losing it. Whereas us are like, ah, another day, they're good. This is their normal. Uh, a good example I have is I have a kiddo in clinic that would often like screech when he was excited, when he was curious, you know, when he was upset or he was like vocally protesting stuff saying no, he would make like a screech sound. So for me, that's just his communication. For others, they consider that, you know, crying and screaming because you'd like screech. So you see what I'm getting there? So targeting the behavior. So we need to target that screech. 
got the tantrum or we need to target the kicking, the throwing, the vocalizations, things like that. And you get very specific on the behavior. And then up next, it must be measurable. So objective, measurable, you guys know how to do this, writing goals that are something that we can actually see and actually measure. Saying that my toddler's tantrums will get better or that the kid who screeches, screeches will go down or decrease, doesn't give us anything to measure. So we gotta put numbers on it. That's where all of our data collection comes in. We are gonna be taking data on those baselines and seeing what needs to go increase or decrease. And we're gonna put numbers on that. It can be percentages, it could be time, it could be intervals, frequency, rate, all of that. You gotta figure out what you want and how you want it. And then the last important thing to know about for, for behavioral is we need to know why the behavior changed. So if we are, you know, out there working and we notice that you know, little Johnny started banging his head against the wall, it's been going on for a week and then one day he comes in and he doesn't do it a single time again for a month straight, we need to figure out why that happened, what happened. Especially important for those serious behaviors because there's probably something medical going on and it's, you know, a big part of our ethics to always rule out medical first and we should always be doing that, right? Always be thinking about that first before you start any interventions. Is there a medical component to this? Is something going on at home? What about those setting events? Considering all those things, if, you know, we are putting in an intervention that just suddenly just decreases and it did amazing, pat yourself on the back, but also do you know why it did so amazing? What, what really caused that behavior change or caused a kid to learn a skill like that? Just keeping all that in mind when we are out in the field doing our jobs and practicing. So something to know about the seven dimensions is that there, Wolf and Risley in 1968 published an article that laid out these kind of principles, guiding principles of ABA, and they're still exactly what they are today. There's some like suggested that could be added on to it at the end of Cooper, but we're not going to go into those because we don't need to know those. We just need to make sure we focus on these seven. All right, last thing we're gonna talk about the difference between a few terms that kind of seem like they overlap. So I wanted to clarify those for you guys. Things are very similar and overlap. I know they threw me off quite a bit. For analytical, we wanna know what is causing it. We wanna be able to analyze it and look at those functional relations, those A's and those B's and C's. Do we know what's going on here? Can we analyze it and understand it? Conceptually systematic is gonna be the principles of ABA, tying it back saying, I am not a wizard, actually, I did this, 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 and this, and that caused the behavior change. So a lot of times parents are just the most wonderful people in the world. I work with a lot of little nuggets, so parents will be like, oh my god, you're amazing, how'd you do that? And if I just went, hm, you know, I got the secret sauce, that's not conceptually systematic. Gotta break it down and tell them I taught them how to functionally communicate, I taught them that they're safe, that they can escape things, all that fun stuff. You know, you get it. I think that's everything. Cool, I hope I explained those well for you. Getting ready for your little pop quiz. I know you know it's coming at this point. I've got my imaginary gold star for you when you get all of these right, so. Or actually, I'll put on my Patreon a giant gold star for you. If you get all these right, you can save it for yourself and say, I'm doing it. I am getting this. I am memorizing all of this, which is huge, guys. There's so many things to memorize. If you've been listening from podcast one, 
two, three at this point, you are killing it. You are working hard, you're grinding, you are going to pass that exam, okay? So we're gonna do this quiz, are you ready? Of course you are. Let's start by you telling me, think of the acronym you want, you're gonna tell me all seven of the dimensions of ABA. You ready? Go. All right, I'm gonna use get a cap. So we've got generality, effective, T is technological, A is analytical, C is conceptually systematic, A is applied, and B is behavioral. Cool, I'm pretty sure I mixed those up, but they're all still there and that's what matters. So don't worry about it. <laughs> all right, so which one is focused on clinical outcomes and having positive clinical outcomes and making sure that what we're doing is significant? Effective, yep. And then which one is, which one is like a recipe is focused on making sure that people can replicate it. It's got all the steps. Got technological, there you go. Okay, and which one has three components that we really need to focus on that are taking the select behavior, measurable, making sure we know why the behavior is changing. Behavioral, okay. I'm gonna ask you two more questions. If we are making sure we are explaining ourselves and talking about the principles and what we are doing in order to change the behavior and how we impacted the person, what are we being or doing? Conceptually systematic. All right, if we are taking the time to make sure that our learner can do the skill at home and other environments, uh, they can order that burger at Burger King, what are we ensuring? Generality, you got it. Okay, I think that's everything I have for you guys. All right, that is everything that I have for you guys. I hope you enjoyed the seven dimensions, seven characteristics of ABA is a good time, right? Work on your acronyms, say these out loud, just say them over and over. Another little tip that I did is I put these acronyms and these terms in my like notes app on my phone and I would pull it up and just read it all the time when I'm like at the grocery store or you know there's some downtime and I would just look at my notes on my phone. Squeeze more studying in, right? Fun time, guys. All right, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. I hope you enjoyed these other podcasts I've done. Feel free to check them out. Check them out on YouTube as well, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you would like. All right, bye guys.